Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. How would your life be different if you gave yourself permission to be great? Today's guest not only asks that question, but also explores the narratives, stories, and memes around us that impact our lives. K. Ron Valentine is an author, curriculum developer, and executive director of Live Above the Hype. In this conversation, we explore greatness and self-sabotage in the pursuit of our vision. We also talk about shattering narratives with forward movement, surrounding yourself with people who support your creative process, reaching people for who they are and not saving or fixing them, and his process of writing books. Finally, if you produce a lot of ideas and projects, K-Ron shares a way to think about seasons of creation. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 728. What am I endlessly curious about? I would say how this world would be if everyone gave themselves permission to be great. <laughs> that gave me chills. Yeah, that's true. That's how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you always felt that way? No, no, not at all. Not at all. It's, it's, it's recently within my recent years, after I've done a lot of inner work and mindset work within myself and seeing how my life has changed, how my perspectives have changed, just my attitude. And I'm like, wow. And I'm not even close to my full potential. So I'll just say, just imagine if we had this information in this perspective and was able to give ourselves permission to be great. Where, where, where would this world be? Yeah. I, what I love about that too is it's, it's not just be great. It's, right. it's that step before that says it's okay. You can have, you have permission to want that. Yeah. And I think yeah. permission is something that everyone struggles with. I think so too. And I think a lot of it has to do with, um, culture and, and society and expectations. You know, I know I come from a, a culture where the more that you tend to succeed or whatever, people can only give you certain advice because they, you know, and their advice is just stay humble, stay humble. And it's like, what wh- what does that mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, does it mean just don't go too far? Like, you know, it's just, it's always this, this reoccurring thought of not shining too much, not, you know, that type of thing. And I think that has a lot to do with how we curve ourselves. Yeah. How did you kind of shed some of those stories of just be humble, don't shine too bright? How did you allow yourself to shine brighter and stay humble? Yeah, just just listening to uh, different people. I did a lot of professional development um, professionals that gave me a lot of insight, you know, through YouTube and podcasts. And things like that. And then just really considering what, what's being said. Like, like you said, like you said, you could you could be great and still be humble, mm-hmm. you know. And the same thing with money. You know, a lot of times with money, we say, you know, money changes people. And I say, you know, money exposes people, you know. <laughs> Most people are that same, you know, problematic person. They just don't have the opportunity to show it <laughs> because they don't have the money. They 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 have to be a study, have a certain humility. But then they get the money and then it exposes them. But if you have a pure heart or if you're humble and you really care about people, you're going to be exposed that way, too. You give money, you're just going to do more good with the money. So, you know, just re reconsidering a lot of the thoughts that I had or, you know, that I that I was brought up with. And I'm necessarily brought up with in my household, but just brought up with culturally and just different things you hear along the way and how it tends to create a narrative within within ourselves. Yeah. Just questioning all of that stuff. Oh, that's great. Because it's wild to me just how pervasive those stories are externally from us. Yeah. And how, how vicious they can be without us even knowing it. Exactly. I think about how certain stories or certain methods of doing things, how they just get, it's kind of like the telephone game. I just get passed along and they take on the life of their self. <laughs> there was a story that I heard, if you don't mind me sharing that, that, that really helped me with that. Please do. Okay, so there was a a great grandmother teaching her great granddaughter how to cook a turkey. So she says, "Baby, what you do is you cut the turkey in half, 
You know, you season it real well. You cook it for X amount of time, take it out, put the other half in and do the same thing. All right. So the great granddaughter said, great grandmama, why, why do you cut it in half? Why don't you just put the whole turkey in? She said, well, that's how my grandmother, I mean, how your grandmother taught me, you know, and what it does is it gets all the nutrients and keep, keeps all the seasoning and keeps it tender. Great granddaughter said, okay, I don't know about that though. You know, let me go ask grandma why she taught, taught her, you know, my great grandma that, I mean, I'm saying the backwards, but you get it. Yeah. The grandma, it was taught by the great grandma. There you go. So she, she calls her great grandma and she asks her great grandma, why did you teach grandma to cook a turkey by cutting it in half? And long story short, she says, well, when we came up, we came up poor and we had a very small oven. So we can only fit half the turkey in at once. Right now, the interesting thing about that story is it had nothing to do with nutrients. It had nothing to do with seasoning. <laughs> it was literally a survival you know, method, you know, to cook a turkey. And we do that sometimes. A lot of times we get stuff all passed down from generations and then we put all these narratives and meaning behind it. And a lot of times that's not the case at all, you know. So some <laughs> things we can leave in the past, you know, so we don't have to cut turkeys in half anymore. <laughs> How do you go about identifying that, though? Because, I mean, in that story, you could go back and ask great grandma, well, why was why is this the case? But with some of these stories, we don't have that person to go back to and say, why, why this, why that? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's back to a lot of self-reflection and asking just really why, like, is what I'm doing, is it leading to what I want? Is it being productive? Is it meaningful? And then looking at the, the process and seeing, is this process really tying into the outcome? So like we're using seasoning is, is cutting it in half really leading into the season or is it not? Like, and do I have to go through all of this? You know, it's just just taking the time to, to be self-reflective, which I think a lot of times because of the hustle of life, we don't have a lot of time to be self-reflective. But when we do, those that's when those questions come up. I love the conversation around self-reflection. What are some of the things that you do when you sit down and, and spend time reflecting on where you're at, who you are. I mean, are you uh, ask a thousand questions and journal your responses to them? Are you a meditator to where you, you wait to see what comes in and you reflect upon it that way? I do all of that. I, I, I write down questions. Sometimes I write down questions and I just come back to them. You know, I, I have a lot of questions. More, A lot of my questions have to do with culture mm -hmm. and the society around me because I recognize that culture tends to dictate a lot of times who we are. It tends to dictate our morality. It dictates our values. You know, people that I, like I just think about, you know, I grew up more in the urban culture and things of that nature. And I'm looking like giving an example how now you have a lot of young people who talk about they want a Bentley or they want, you know, some kind of, you know, some some Ferrari. I didn't even want I never even heard of a Bentley as a kid. You know what I'm saying? So that was not something that I desired because I never even heard of it. Yeah. But the culture has molded people and molded their ambition. So I'm, I'm constantly looking at culture and seeing how has that weighed on me as a person. And then that's usually where I get my my questions from. Yeah. You know, like I look around and I say, why do certain people, why like why do the majority of people only aspire to go this far in life or to be this? Or and then usually it has to do with culture. And then that's where I start the question. That's where I live above the hype and all of the stuff that I do, that's where it comes from, the analyzing culture and how it weighs in on on the individual. It's so fascinating, too, because, you know, culture is ever shifting and evolving. Yeah. And I mean, it's faster and faster how fast these stories and memes take hold in our minds. Yeah. The, where before we know it, we're like, <laughs> I want a Bentley or, you know, it's 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 wild. And you know what's so dangerous about that or what you just said? There's something about the power of a meme. If you read it on a meme, all of a sudden it's true. Like, it's like, what? <laughs> like, uh, if it's on, like, I could say the most ridiculous thing and it'd be like, hey, Ron, that's what? But if it's on a meme and you scrolling and you see it, oh, there's some validity to it. That's you right. know, so that's dangerous right there. But yeah, that's the culture we live in. And yeah. the interesting thing about culture is we can all be in the same society and still be amongst different cultures. Yes. Right. Yeah. So 
that's where I get a lot of my empathy, too, because I can look at somebody and be like, based on their culture, let's say we have totally different um, perspectives on something. You know, I can empathize even if even if I totally don't agree just based on just analyzing the culture. Like, OK, well, if I grew up in that culture, I probably would think the same thing. You know, that's 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 how I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because when when you said that, how we're all in the same society but have different cultures, mm-hmm. is greatness something that transcends culture? Is it something that all cultures can point to, or is it something that each culture defines? See, that's a great question. I think the culture defines how people define success, right? But the challenge with that is just because the culture defines it as success doesn't mean it is success to the individual. And that's where the greatness comes in, because the greatness comes in with let me walk in my fullest potential, not just be successful, because sometimes culture can mean whoever gets the most money, whoever has the biggest bag of money wins and is the most successful. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're walking in your greatness. You know, my greatness may be I need to be a teacher and impact hundreds, if not thousands of, of kids, you know, and that's maybe great yeah. versus my culture saying, just get some money. And, you know, so we have to, you know, it's this constant battle, I believe, in being authentic to who you are individually and still understanding the value system of the culture around you, you know. So it may be a merge of both. Like it may be I want to make impact on the world and get a bag of money at the same time, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> You can't we can't allow, in my opinion, we can't allow culture to totally dictate and define what success and greatness is to us. Yeah. So how have you defined what greatness is to you? What is your potential that you're living to your fullest? Yeah. So my potential so far is making maximum impact on the people around me, inspiring people. That's that's what I've figured I've tended to to be great at. Like to inspire people, whether it be through my words or just through watching my demonstration and what, what you see me do, I inspire people. But the challenge with me when it comes to that is my greatness also means that I do want to have a certain level of, of monetary success because, you know, I come from a culture of poor, righteous teachers where, you know, the people who are deep and really care about the community, they usually don't get anything, you know, but, oh man, he's, he's awesome. But He's he's poor, you know, respectfully. And I'm working on how do you do good while doing good? You know, how do you make that impact and still have a, a quality of life? You know, the quality of life you want. And that's where I'm at with my with my pursuits. Uh, and yeah. great. Wow. What have you discovered in that journey? Because, again, those are cultural stories that says to do the most good, you have to be the poorest mm-hmm. in like the creative world you have that starving artist myth that says you know the best artists are poor they're addicted (laughs) to drugs and they spend all their money on drugs and all this stupid stuff that isn't true and yet they're pernicious yeah so so what i've learned is just to shatter the narrative by just going forward you know i believe also when um we are co-creators of our own reality if we give ourselves permission you know so I just go, I go and I, and, and when I like, for instance, using this as an example, I am very uh, committed to impacting my community. So, but what does that mean? So how do I balance the two? That means I got to learn, I have a business model. So I also have a business with it, you know? So I, I do things like that and I balance it out that way. Like it's not, you know, I can't just keep doing what everybody else is doing, expect a different outcome. I have to figure out, okay, if I may want something different, then I have to do something different. So, okay, I got to pay a little more attention to business. I may have to pay a little more attention to branding and things of that nature and still do the work that I, that I set out to do. So it's things like that. And, and just again, questioning, where did this, these narratives come from? You know, and a lot of times I get the answer where they came from, very similar to that story. And it's like, okay, it worked at that time. That doesn't mean it has to always be the case. When you share that mind shift to people that says, you can do good and do good. Mm-hmm. How do they respond? I, I imagine there's some tension there. Um, I don't really get tension, but what I do get is like, oh, that's good. But <laughs> it, it comes like, but it's like, I'm not about to, you know, do what it takes for that. You know, 
Because, you know, because, again, it does come with putting in a lot of work like me. I, I work a lot. You know what I'm saying? I work a lot. And it comes it comes with with really putting in that type of work that some people are just not willing to do. So they wrote me on. They say, hey, I, I, I see what you're doing because I'm very transparent. Like I'm the type like I say, do you, you can do good while doing good. Right. I'm transparent with that. So because of that, I don't really get tension because people respect me. Where we get to, you know, because I'm being honest, where, where you get tension from is when somebody pretends to be this poor righteous teacher, but really behind the scenes, you know, they're they they they're skimming and, and doing these skimming off the top and, you know, doing all that. Yeah. And, and that's where the problem comes in. And I tend not to go in that route. So because of that, again, I, I actually tend to inspire people because they like, wait a minute, you are on to something. You know what I mean? They sit back and they watch and they say, OK. OK, maybe maybe we can shift, you know, our approach to, to this work or to whatever it may be. Something that you just said really was impactful for me in that you have the people pretending that they need to be a certain way in order to have an impact. But then the journey really is becoming comfortable with who you are, aspiring to that level of greatness that you want and making a true impact as opposed to a false impact. That's, yeah. kind of, that's kind of what I heard. Yes. See, and that goes back to giving yourself permission to be great in order to get, you know, in, in giving yourself permission, you also give yourself permission to be authentically you. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I used to, you know, again, I also coming from a, a, a religious part, you know, I had, I had a religious uh, phase. I don't want to call it a phase, but I had a religious uh, part of my journey. You know, I'm not so much that anymore, but I still, you know, align with some of the principles and in, in this religion, you know, thought, you know, money. Oh my God, no, you don't, you know, Oh, Oh, you know, money. That's it. So, so even though I may have certain desires, I will still suppress it because of the guilt that I felt because it didn't align with my religious beliefs. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, Oh no, you can't want that. That means you're too worldly. You're too this and you're too that. And no disrespect to anybody who believes these things. But for me, I had to give myself permission to say, okay, no, you really desire some of these things and you really are this type of person. You really, and, and be real with that and then say, okay, so now how, now that I'm being honest with myself, how can I, you know, know myself better and based on who I truly am, make the impact that I want to make, be the person that I want to be and inspire people and make the connections that I want to make with other people being authentically me. You know, not being a facade, you know, because that's what the culture or what the religion or what the 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 group said I should be, you know. So yeah. that was another big piece. Oof. And that's a big one too, especially yeah. the longer you're in those religious environments, those stories can go deep and take decades to disconnect from. Yeah. Now that's where the tension comes in, right? Now that <laughs> definitely comes like, how dare you, you know, that type of thing. <sighs> You're going yeah. to hell, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's dangerous, right? It's like, whoa, yeah. we can't. That's that's. We can't go no further than that. So right. And it so, shuts you down. You're going to hell for being you. Yeah. You know, you know, it's like most people's like, well, I'd rather not be me, you yeah. know, and I'd rather you know, at least suppress who I am. Yeah. And again, I say it respectfully, but you know, I I, I went through a process where I said. Certain things are not adding up and, you know, you know, and I had to have a, a, a talk with the creator, with, you know, within, without all of it. Like, oh, no, I need some, I need some, some, some clarity. And yeah. it was a process and, and I'm thankful for it. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that too. Cause I know for myself, I had my religious part of the journey too. And, you know, it can really mess with your head and heart and it it does take some time to really find that peace and clarity that you just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. See, and that's a part of the culture as well. So again, if I understand the culture or understand the religious beliefs, because culture is just social norms and beliefs, that's what it is anyway. So then I can understand why you will say what you say or why you believe what you believe or why you would think of that about me. Cause I, I get it. It doesn't mean I agree with it. So that's why I constantly look at the culture. Yeah. I look at the culture. Yeah. I love what I'm hearing too, K-Ron, is that I hear this positive disconnection mm. of you from 
the harmful words of others, the harmful words of community and culture. And I don't know, that takes some effort there to really be able to have that positive disconnection. Yeah, it's almost, and I didn't even think of it until you just said that, it's almost like forgive them for they know know not what they do type mentality, right? Like, because I just know how I was. I know when, you know, based on, I've always been an all-in person. Like, what, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And I believe what I believe. So when I believe certain things, that's how I move. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When I believe certain other, that's how I move. And I understand that's pretty much that's human nature. That's how we are. And most people are doing their they're they're doing the best that they can with what they have. We're all doing the best we can with what we have and what we know. And we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? We don't know what we don't know. It's like what wait what i didn't even know this existed to even know this to even pursue this information you know and because of that that's where my humility comes in like i recognize like okay i'm i'm grateful for the insight that i do have i know i have a lot more learning to do but because of that i'm not going to be become the woke guy and now all of a sudden you know i'm i'm condemning everybody else cuz they're not on my level and all of this type of stuff so i i don't want to re reharm what I'm against, you know, if that makes sense. Something that came to mind as you're describing this journey, let's say, you know, you you finally start getting some clarity inside, you make these changes. And inevitably, as we move toward greatness or move toward the next phase of our journey, however we want to describe that, we hit a wall. We hit that barrier and we sabotage the progress that we make and go back to yeah. what's comfortable or what we think we know or what feels safe. Right, right. How how do you push through those moments of wanting to self-sabotage your progress? Man, that's a powerful question. Yeah, it's this this it's it's those those low moments within self, right? Where we want to go back to what's familiar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's our brain telling us this is what's safe. Let's r- run back to short. And it's just one of those things where it's, a, again, constant self-talk. Like, nah, my thing is that anybody that knows me, they know I'm always saying forward movement. Forward, I'm going to push forward. Even when I'm scared, I'm a, I, 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 I will be scared. I'm not, I'm not the type that's not scared, but I still move in a fearless type of fearlessness, you know, where I'm going to move forward. You know what I'm saying? And because I don't want to go back. You, yeah. you, you know what I mean? I don't want to go back. I've, I've already set the course to walk in my greatness. So I can't go back. It's like when they say, have you ever heard the, the, the analogy of burn the ships? Yes. Yeah. Burn <laughs> the ships. There's no going back. You know what I'm saying? So all we can do is go forward. So with that being said, it doesn't mean I don't have my low points. It don't mean that I don't have the points where I just stay still, where it's like, I'm not going back, but I, I'm, I'm just going to stay here right now. And I might get into a rut for a minute, but I, I seek to be very, very intentional about not going back. And self-sabotaging because self-sabotage is real. And I know I used to self-sabotage. And a lot of the self-sabotage came from um, low self-image. You know, I, pro- I project outwardly confidence. But within is who do you think you are, right? Who do you think you are to pursue that? Who do you think you are to be that, to have that, to do that, to be in that position, right? You're not worthy of that. You know, then it's what's called imposter syndrome kicks in. And it's like, it feels like everybody is in on a secret and everybody knows something but, but me. Like everybody else is smart and, I'm, and I must have missed that class. So how, how is everybody else so cool and I'm not that cool? And, you know, it's just realizing again, back to being in my authentic self. I'm okay with who I am. You know, I may feel everybody else is cooler than me. That's fine. I'm still me. I may think everybody else is smarter than me. That's fine. I'm just going to bring in the knowledge that I have and then be quiet when everybody talk about stuff that I don't know about. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to come and show up authentically as me. And and that's where I started when I said giving myself permission to walk in my greatness. And and I, if we all do that, I think we'll be just fine because greatness doesn't mean again, it doesn't mean it's grandstand great. The biggest celebrity or the richest person or the best football player it doesn't mean any of that. <laughs> Walking authentically in yourself and into your highest potential. How have you surrounded yourself with people who help you continue to move forward? 
Because building those relationships, whether they're professional or personal, uh, if you're developing them around who you authentically are, it's going to look a lot different than the people you have around you when you're putting on an image or a falsehood. Yeah, that's a good question, too. Um, to be honest with you, a lot of the people, I, I don't have a lot of people around me. You know, a lot of the relationships that I have far, you know, few. I shouldn't say relate. I have a lot of relationships, but just that inner circle. Yeah, I don't have a lot. And those who I do have, you know, they they definitely push me. They push me. They push me. But even that, like some of the people that I and this is a tough one because some of the people that I do have have been around me for years. So they've been around me even as I've made certain transitions. Yeah. And there's been times where I've had to I don't want to use the words distance because it wasn't an intentional distance, but it was this is what I'm on right now. Yeah. And you're definitely welcome to come. But I'm not budging from this. You know what I'm saying? So if it's like, no, I'm not hanging out. I'm about to sit here and listen to these self-help videos for the next two. <laughs> hours. You're welcome to sit here with me. But this is what I'm doing. I'm not leaving. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If it's I'm working on a business plan and no, I'm not getting paid for working on the business plan because it's, it's a vision. And somebody's saying, no, nah, let's go do this. And I'm like, no, I'm locked in on my vision. And they like, why are you doing that? You're not getting paid for that. I don't care. I'm locked in on my vision. You're welcome to stay. We're welcome to trade ideas, but I'm not budging from this. And that's been how it is. So those who tend to stay is because they 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 respect where I am and vice versa. I respect where they are. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean because I am listening to these self-help videos that if you don't, I'm going to say something's wrong with you, you know, and why aren't you doing it? It's totally fine. I'll present it, you know, and that's it. Just because I'm working on this business plan, I'm not going to say, why are you spending your time watching watching the game or whatever? You know right. what I'm saying? You should be writing the business plan. No, no, no. We are all, you know what I'm saying? We all have the right to be who we are. And that's how that's how I move. So because of that, people respect it. But I don't have a lot of people around. I don't, I don't have a big circle. I find that very comforting, though, because I think one of the messages that we like to um <laughs> that people like to impart on us is you know teamwork makes the dream work you know that yeah. kind of thing and all those that's that's a that's meme worthy right there but like i i just appreciate that the people that are around you are intentionally around you yes absolutely absolutely and you know um i do believe in what's called interdependence where i do believe we you know teamwork makes the dream work but the team may be a team of two yeah. You know, sometimes it may just be me and I got to carry it. And then another teammate may come in later, you know, or then I may get five teammates. You know, I don't believe it's going to always be consistent, at least in my journey. It's not always consistent like that. And, I, and I'm OK with that, too, because I, I see people and I'm so intrigued by people who do have those big teams because that hasn't been my journey. I haven't had that that experience either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd have to be OK with that, you know, <laughs> so. I think to each his own, we all have our own paths and yeah. based on that, that's how it plays out. It, it made me think too about musicians who are both in a solo act and in a group, mm. how they can kind of go and operate in both and know when to shine as the solo artist and when to step back and be, you know, part of the, the group. And, and I, I think there's a good, there, there's some humility there that I think you can be humble when you can do that. Yeah, yeah. Because you understand, you know, we all have positions to play at certain times. Absolutely. Certain times for me to shine, certain times I need to play the background. Yeah. And you know what else is funny? When you said that, thinking about musicians, you know, I've, I've found that some of the people who make some of the most great party, especially in rap, yeah. make some of the great party music. You would think, the studio is filled with all this drink, alcohol, and women, and, you know, friends, and everybody's hanging out. You find that a lot of them say, okay, I'm about to record. I need everybody out. <laughs> and they'd be in the, they'd be in the studio by themselves, you know, making the most, you know, up wild music, but they by themselves. So, again, I think it has to do with just knowing who you are and, and respecting your process, you know? I remember watching a masterclass with Timbaland mm, and yeah. I think it was him, one other person, and maybe someone singing in the booth. 
and then obviously all of the the crew for masterclass but you know like there there was not very many people there and just the creativity that was emerging was awesome to see see because that's what happens just using that as an example you find like early in people's career they may have all the people in there because that's what they taught they're supposed to do and you know but then they find that everybody is not supporting that creative process. Mm-hmm. So then as they people, they tend to really uh, make waves in the music industry or whatever or, and move up. You start to see less and less people because they start to be more intentional with who they have around them. Mm-hmm. So they say, if you're not a part of this creative process in some way, even if it's just your personality and you just bringing good vibes, you don't need to be here because then they're more focused on on the objective than just the whole process. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It is. At what point do you decide to create an organization called Live Above the Hype? Live Above the Hype. Well, it's, it's two things. So Live Above the Hype, it started off and it's still here. It's a curriculum. Hmm. And, it, and then it became a nonprofit. So I'll, I'll share with you the process with that. Yes. So, yeah. So the curriculum, I used to work with um, incarcerated young men. I did that for years. And in this process of working with these young men, I saw a lot of programs and curriculums and, you know, just different things to, to reach at-risk youth and all of these taglines. And unfortunately, a lot of those programs was not making an impact, you know. It, outwardly, you, you know, when it came for the photo ops or for, you know, the PR, it sounded like it's doing great. And no disrespect, you know, because there are some programs that are doing some very great work. But there was a lot that wasn't. And I created a curriculum to speak to these young men's self-image. And it was called, it's called Live Above the Hype. And it meant exactly what it is. Live Above the Hype. A lot of these young men are trying to live up to an image that is not in their favor. You know, particularly in a lot of urban communities, we're taught the more we destroy our community, the realer we are, the more, the more accolades we get, you know, the more violence we create, the more you know, failures we have, the better we are. And that's a hype. That's a lie. So this whole curriculum became um, geared to that. And it was aligned and, you know, it still is aligned with hip hop culture and things of that nature. A lot of those cultural cues that a lot of us have learned growing up, it spoke to a lot of that. And then people wanted to get behind it. Like we're just like with some of my work, but as an individual is one thing, but if when it's a organization it's another so that's when i transitioned to the nonprofit side of things where people could you know uh donate people could um use you know offer their time contribute their time work with some of these young people and things of that nature and that's where that came from you know really again tapping into the self-image of a lot of our young men and young ladies in these urban communities that's beautiful in many ways because it on one hand it shows the power of your vision It shows the desire to see where people need a lot of help and Mm -hmm. you want to go in there and do the actual work as opposed to one day when I'm ready, I will go in there and I will help them. Right. Went right in there and, and it shows the progression of vision too, from start where you are. Okay. I'm going to make a curriculum using hip hop. And then I'll make an organization. Whereas sometimes we work backwards. We'll make the organization, then go for the impact. And yeah, I love that. And I think that's a great point that you raised because that's literally how I move. Like I look for how I can be of service. I, I don't just look for this is a great idea and everybody should love it. You know, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm not going to write a curriculum first and then say, hey, who wants this curriculum? No, I'm going to see where the need is created based on that, you know, and, and I, I was having another discussion um, very similar where I shared that, like, you know, that's a lot of times when you want to make the most impact, that's what you do. So if I want to be, I want to, I want to create a curriculum on how to play the guitar. I don't just create a curriculum, me being K Ron Valentine, create a curriculum on how to create a guitar, even if I'm great at it <laughs> and then start going around the guitar player saying, Hey, buy my curriculum. Right. They're going to say, first of all, who are you? I don't know you. Like, I don't know you. What the first thing I need to do, in my opinion, in my process, is get around other musicians and, and, and build that camaraderie and build that relationship. Now, it takes longer, but that's where the authenticity comes in. I need to be around other guitar players. 
and 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 see what some of the nuances are and, and then create the curriculum based on that. Because now I can authentically speak to the needs, quote unquote, of guitar players. And then when I offer the curriculum, they say, oh, this is K-Ron. He's always around. He's in the, you know, now I'm a part of the community. Right. Versus trying to, I got this own vision in the basement and now I'm just going to just try to, you know, force it on people. It tends not to work that way. Was it hard to go into prisons and, and work with these at-risk youth? It depends on how you define hard. It wasn't what yeah. I thought, you know. I thought I was going to come in, you know, you see in the movies, yeah. like Stand and Deliver and uh, right. Dangerous Minds. Go come in and I'm going to just, you know, offer this stuff, and these great jewels, and they're going to yeah. change. No, no, it's not like that. So the, the, the challenge, right, right. They're sitting there like, man, who are you? Right. Yeah. The challenge was, again, shattering the narrative that I had in my head and seeing these young men for who they are and reaching them who they are and not coming in to save them or to fix them. But to literally come in and just to, to you know, using the metaphorically, just to be a light and give them something to gravitate to. You know, when when they do, you know, get confronted with certain decisions, they could say, man, OK, I remember that guy K-Ron said, you know, and, and they have something to pull from. Now, whether they actually do that or not, that's that's their decision. But when I came in, when I started to shift my mind with that, no, nah, then it wasn't hard. You know, again, I, it was challenging because it was very, you know, they would be testy, but it, it wasn't hard. You know, I learned we are responsible for the process and not the outcome. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. When, I, when I look at people like that, then I have less judgment on you're not, you know, you're not producing the outcome that I think you should be producing with these <laughs> this four hours that I'm with you, even though you've been in this lifestyle for 17 years, you should change with this after school program that I have. You know, when I, you know, shifted that and just say, no, we're just going to be responsible for this process and the outcome will, you know, will work out itself. Then it, it was not as hard. And I see how that can affect to like the nonprofit as well saying, because, you know, like sometimes when you're raising funds and, and you want to show the impact of the work, you can be really honest about just how much work there is to do, the challenges you face and be open about it as opposed to this is the process and these are the outcomes. And yes. Because we're in outcomes, we worship outcomes. You're hitting it on the nose when it comes to, to, to nonprofit world. Yeah, everything is the outcomes. Everything is the data, the statistics. Again, a photo shoot. You know, <laughs> these, this man, had, I changed his life and I changed, and, and it happens, you know. There, there, are those, those, there, there are those victories, you know. So that definitely does happen. And, and thankfully, I, I, I've had a fair share of those victories where I've, you know, a lot of the young people that I work with are grown now and they have attributed a lot of their successes to the to to what I've contributed to them and uh, what my company or prop or organization has contributed. But again, I I am very intentional about making sure we don't lose sight of the the true process. And the true process is not it's gonna it's not gonna be that. Like I remember when people used to ask me, you know, live above the hype. Does it work? Mm. What what do you mean? Does it work? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you define work? Yeah. Right. And again, like giving the example I gave, I'm like, um, this young man has been heavily gang impacted for literally 17 years. He was born into a gang impacted community. Yeah. His family is gang impacted. His mom, his dad, his uncles, everybody has told them, told him that this is the life you live. His community has told him this and not have him for an hour once a week. And you ask me, does it work? What, what, what do you, what do you, you know? <laughs> right. What do you it, expect? Yeah. What do you expect? Is it, is it influencing them? Is it, is it impacting them? Absolutely. But if working means he's going to do this 180, you know, in the course of a, you know, like I say, a six week period or whatever, which adds up to six hours, not even the whole 24 hours in his life. I can't guarantee that, you know, but I can guarantee that it will make the, it will make maximum impact and it will have a, a mental shift, you know, it will support his social emotional state. It will, you know, we have a trauma informed approach where he will feel a certain safety, but the outcomes for, you know, just for the data. Nah, nah, nah. These, we we're dealing with human beings, you know? Well, and it goes back to, you know, the earlier conversation around greatness. I mean, greatness is not something that happens instantaneous. It's a long-term game. 
Yeah. Well, it's it's your life's pursuit. Yes. And I wrote a book called Aligning Yourself with the Success You Desire. And in that book, I talk about greatness, right? In the beginning, I talk about greatness. To me, it's like a butterfly. Like, first of all, it's elusive. It's hard, you know, it's hard. <laughs> you, you chase it, you chase it, you chase it. Yeah. And then when you finally kind of get a hold of it, you look close at it and you say, wait, this thing looks like a bug. <laughs> it don't look all pretty like it does from a distance. Right. It's like, wait a minute, this thing is a bug. Ugly. So it's kind of ugly, right? <laughs> and that's how great this is. And from a distance and when it's elusive, it's so beautiful and things. But to really tap into the greatness or whatever, however we define it, it's not always going to be pretty. Yeah. You know, when we're talking into this community work and greatness, it's not always going to be pretty. You know, when I'm working on myself, it's not always going to be pretty. But from a distance, it's wonderful, right? And and that's how I look at greatness. I love that. It's a great way to look at greatness. So you mentioned the book that you wrote about greatness, and I the see the poster on the wall behind you, Beyond the Crack Generation. So yeah. A trauma organized culture. Mm-hmm. Who encouraged you to write books and to be an author? To be honest, I would, and I say this in all honesty within myself, you know what I'm saying? And I don't mean that like I made myself. I don't mean it like that. I mean it like um, I was sitting down and I just realized because I started, I, I, I was speaking. I was doing a lot of speaking. And I realized people really was interested in what I had to say, yeah. right? And then I realized that not only were they interested, it really made impact. Like it really connected. I'm not just up here talking. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, let me let me sit down with this pen and document some of my thoughts and document some of these, some of the stuff that I may not say in a training or in a speech. I can sit down with these thoughts. And I wanted to, when it came to behind the crack generation, I wanted to document again the cultural impact that came during the crack epidemic. Because a lot of times, again, we've heard about the mass incarceration. We've heard about the drug addictions. We've heard about the chaos and the, and the just the terror that, that happened in the communities. But I wanted to talk about the cultural shift because the cultural shift is what really devastated the social images of a lot of people coming from these communities. And I wanted to do that. And I just sat down and I started writing and it started off kind of like a poem, like a, a poem that I wrote on a napkin. I love that. Um, yeah. And it was like a poem and I shared it with a friend of mine. I said, man, listen to this. And it was just basically talking about how we grew up. We meaning in this culture, in this con, in this time period. And he was like, man, that's That's heavy. He was like, no, yeah. He said, I really appreciate how you document the stuff that we've gone through. Cause I also used to be, used to do a lot of rap. So I did, I used to document a lot of the stuff through my music. Okay. So he was appreciating how I documented it. And I was like, hmm, what if I wrote a book? And then I just sat down and just piece by piece. Again, I did, I was not like I had uh, deadlines of a publisher or where I had to have it done by November. <laughs> I, did, I just, just sat down and wrote it. Same thing with the curriculum. I just sat down and wrote it. You know what I'm saying? And that, because I don't have these deadlines, I would just write according to the pace that, you know, God has me on or, you know, and I just will write and take it from there. And that's that's pretty much been my process Love that. How'd you yeah. know when you were done? Because it felt that way, you know. And but what I did, I would always again, I would have an objective from the beginning. Yeah. So I wouldn't just write for the sake of writing. That's why, like, a lot of times people will say, you know, I have a story. You know, my life is, has been this and I have a story. Yeah. I want to write about it. I'll say, I don't encourage, that's not my, that's like, if it, nobody, if nobody knows you, why would they want to read your story? Now, once they read it, they may end up saying, wow, what a story. But typically people are not that interested in other people's stories unless you tie it into a message and to a point. Mm. So even in this book, yes, yeah, a lot of my quote unquote story in it, but it's tied to an objective. So I already had an objective of what I wanted. I wanted to really document this time. I wanted to document how it had, how it affected us. And I wanted to document the solutions on what we can do to counteract some of the destructive things that took place. And once I did that, I said, okay, I'm done. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not going to keep rambling. You know, it's done. Yeah. You know, it's an end, you know, and that's what happened. Love that. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you in, in your journey of greatness? Man, that's the, what it was next for me. 
is really um this and this is new. This is fresh off the press, to be honest with you. What's next for next for me is really uh honing in on what I've always what I've already created. And what I mean by that is I'm constantly creating. So I will tell you, Chris, guess what? I just wrote this curriculum called Living by the Hype. And then six months later, I just wrote a facilitator's manual. <laughs> six months later, I just created a training. Six months later, I just wrote another book, you know, and I'm just constantly creating. And what's been in my spirit now is go back and really look at what you have created and make sure you are giving it the necessary push to make the impact it's supposed to have. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going back to live above the height, making sure that I make the connections with the schools who need to have it. Yeah. Now I'm going back to beyond the crack generation, making sure I'm making connections with the social workers or the colleges that need to have it, you, you know, things of that nature. Same with the, uh, with the, uh, be, uh, aligning yourself with the success you desire. I'm making sure that instead of just constantly going, you know, it's like being at the buffet, constantly going back for some more food. Let me make sure I finish what I already have on my plate. So that's what I'm doing, focusing on what I've already created and getting it out. I love that though, because I think when people have a lot of multiple interests and multiple ideas and you're constantly creating, sometimes the message is, well, pick one thing, stay in your lane, you know, <laughs> and just, I love how you're just like, produce, produce, produce. Now come back, connect them to the people. Cause then after that, I imagine you're going to go produce, 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 produce. Right. And, and I love that cadence, that rhythm, that flow to be able to produce without concern for, you know, the maximum impact and then create the impact with it. Yeah. You know, you know where that, part of that comes from? A guy has said this one time. He said, does an apple tree eat apples? I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, no, they don't, right? He said, apple tree just focuses on producing apples, right? And when they produce apples, they produce it for whoever wants them. So I just got in that, in that mode. I'm just going to produce, 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 yeah. right? And then as I matured, which is now, I'm like, but also, does the apple tree produce apples all year? No. It has this season for producing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now I'm, I realize, okay, let me not be in this season. Let me be in the season of getting the apples to where they need to be, yeah. right? Versus producing all year. And now I got rotten apples falling off the tree because I got so much stuff I produced and haven't got it out properly to the, those who need to consume it. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. You got me all philosophical right now, man. It's coming out. <laughs> it's just pouring out, man. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> Okay, Ron, as we wrap up our time together, what additional bits of wisdom would you like to leave with the audience? Um, I would say, you know, live above the hype. You know, find find what, what, what your greatness is. Tap into it. And sometimes it needs to be developed. Sometimes we don't know. I'm still discovering what it is. But I know what it's not. It's not, it's not what, what all these societal expectations are, right? It doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean I have to have flashy lights around me for me to be great. I just have to be comfortable with who I am, unapologetically who I am. And then once I do that, then I can begin to walk in my fullest potential. So I just encourage people to just be authentically you and be great, be great at it. And that's, that's what I leave us with. Well, final question for you. What are you feeding your mind with right now? Uh, what am I feeding my mind with? That's a good question. I, I'm, I'm reading you know, I'm I'm doing I'm doing more podcasts now. I'm listening more to podcasts and things of that nature, and more so than information. Because I, I also am a guy who, who just read, 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 get, get all this information. I'm feeding my mind with affirmations. Okay. So I find myself constantly looking in the mirror, doing self talk, constantly on YouTube with affirmations. That's that's what I'm really feeding myself. Not not so much the information. Yeah affirmations you know i am great i give myself permission to whatever be brilliant to be wealthy to be happy you know things like that you know i don't want to have survivor's guilt you know it's like i have these good things but now i feel bad because somebody else doesn't have them and i'm just feeding myself positive affirmations that's where i am right now how do those shift your mindset all beliefs are just reaffirmed thoughts right it's a pattern of thought that i that i've accepted as 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 true. 
And when I when I'm doing this and I'm having these affirmations, it shifts my without getting all metaphorical. My I mean, uh, oh, you know, it shifts my frequency. You know, getting all metaphysical. That's what I'm saying. And it, and it, you know, and it keeps my mind in a certain way. It keeps my it keeps my social emotional state in a certain way where I feel optimistic and versus fearful. Yeah. Where I feel you know I feel confident versus doubtful. Where I feel you know gratitude versus um you know unthankful and things of that scarcity so it, it tends to do those type of things for me mentally and then from there i'm able to just get out again and and do what i'm supposed to do because i'm in, i have the right social emotional state now is that like a 15 minute process is it an hour long process is it ongoing all day long it could it's all day long so it could be me brushing my teeth and i'm saying affirmations in my head right or it could be me really sitting down, locking in for 15 minutes and just saying certain things or going through a meditative process. But through the whole day, whenever I think about it, I'm going to or it could be me writing stuff down and I'll write down my my affirmations and it'd be on the sticky note. And then all throughout the day, I just may remind myself I am great. You know, or I am brilliant. I am this. I am that, you know, and it's just a constant thing just to shift. The mindset, because I know we're wrapping it up, but we also have, and I say this without sounding too correct, I don't know, whatever, but we all got these voices in our head, right? And some of these voices have been in our head since a child. And I remember having to also, you know how I say, give myself permission to be great? I had to also take permission mm. from certain voices that I've been hearing since a child. And I, again, I, I mean that, you know, not I got voices, but you get it. It could be a child, you know, I could have been sixth grade and this child said, you're ugly. And for whatever reason, it stuck with me. Right. So now for the next 20, 30 years, I hear you're ugly. But guess what? That was a 10 year old child who said that I'm 37 years old. Am I still going to give this 10 year old child's voice permission? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It could be a parent who says certain things to us. But that parent was 25 years old at the time. And didn't know nothing about life or was unhappy or whatever. Do I give that voice permission to continue to have authority over my self-image? They could still be saying certain things, but then I look at them and say, do I still give that person that type of authority over my self-image? So it's all of these type of things. So when I'm doing these affirmations, it's also giving, it's also me being intentional about what voice and what message am I going to give permission to, to influence myself, my self-image. I had a blast talking with K-Ron, and I hope this conversation with him inspired you to bring some forward movement to your life and work. I encourage you to take action like he does by looking for how you can be of service and be where the need is, and most importantly, to show up. That is how we build community and help support one another. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.